Max Mawachanin. Give me a name. John Adams. Welcome to Give Me a Name, where a guest presents me, Ben Kirschenbaum, with a dead historical figure they find interesting, and we discuss. John Adams once said that he had to study politics and war so that his sons could study mathematics, commerce, and agriculture, so that their sons could study poetry, painting, and music. He didn't say what the next generation would do, but they probably wouldn't get a great inheritance from their artsy parents. Today we are talking about the founding father that, I'm going to just say right away, does not get the respect that he does, not on money, no yeah. real memorials, as opposed to the Jeffersons and the Washingtons. That's true. He's kind of sandwiched between two kind of heavy hitters, I suppose. <laughs> Absolutely. Is, uh, <laughs> yeah, he deserves, he deserves more credit, I think. And I feel like that's like a main theme of his life. He kind of knew that he wasn't going to be memorialized the way that those other people were. Right, right. And he was right. Yeah, I guess he, he called it. Yeah. <laughs> And he was pissed about it. Right, yeah, because he was a pissed-off guy in general. <laughs> kind of irascible or whatever they called him. Or... Yeah, there was a lot of good words for him. That I, I feel like for him, it was he was very aware of human flaws. Right, right. And kind of aware of them in himself as well. Yeah. Which I thought was just kind of... The more I read about the guy, the more I liked him. So. Right, right. Yeah, I feel like he's maybe my favorite founding father, if I... Unless we go like with an obscure one, I think for sure. Yeah, true. Cause I, think I, I like him better than Washington, Jefferson, Hamilton, Aaron Burr. I think he's yeah, that would be a wild card. <laughs> does, he yeah. count, does he count as a founding father? I don't know if he. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, how do we? I like him more than Franklin. I mean, he's, oh yeah, yeah, true. I, I I mean, if you go through just some general things, first of all, family man, which most of those people or some of them were not. Right, right, you true. Know, devoted husband, devoted father. True, true. And never owned a slave. Right. I think he and John Quincy were like the only two of the first like 12 or 13 presidents who never owned a slave. That's a good, that's a good, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good stat. You know? it's a, <laughs> the Adams family, the, the original Adams family. <laughs> so John Adams born in 1735 in Braintree, Massachusetts, father who he adored mm-hmm. was a farmer and a deacon. Right. Yeah. And it seems like it was one of those families that had been around kind of forever. Right, right. In the Americas. Yeah, I think, wasn't, I forget I read something that they maybe got there in like the 1500s, 1600s or something. Or Right, so he's thing. like truly from that early colonial period time. His right, was. right, like multiple generations in the Massachusetts Commonwealth or whatever they call it. Or Was it called that later? I feel like they maybe started calling it the Commonwealth when they wrote the Constitution, I guess when he wrote the Massachusetts Constitution. So grew up in Massachusetts, and part of the reason, I think, why he loved his father so much is because the father was really dedicated to his education and right. spending money on the education. Right, right. And John goes to Harvard. Right, at like 16, I think, right? Like quite young. And- yeah. Seems to excel there and has a lifelong love of books and everything. Right, like that. he's a big reader and just into yeah just he seems like a yeah lifelong learner kind of i'd say yeah which he has in common with jefferson right true true so i feel like with adams it's it's often how people talk about him but it's largely in relation you talk about his relationships with people yeah so the adams jefferson relationship is kind of maybe the most crucial 
Right, right. They're both kind of nerdy and well-read and <laughs> like to write a lot. And, yeah. yeah. And Adams is kind of underappreciated as a writer. Yeah, that's true. So John Adams kind of does a few different jobs. He's a teacher. Actually, the last episode was about Andrew Jackson with Jake Velasquez. Oh, right. Okay, and Andrew Jackson, also a teacher, very briefly. Interesting. I didn't know that about Jackson. That's... Which is like uh-huh. one of the, got to be one of the strangest teachers. Dad. Yeah, that would be a weird weird teacher to have. <laughs> <laughs> what did he teach, by the way? I don't know. I think okay. it was like to young kids. Okay, so he taught like elementary school math or something like that? Yeah, or? I don't think it was like uh, gym. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He's a gym teacher. He's, a, <laughs> he's like, go tackle those engines or whatever. But what Adams ends up doing is becoming a lawyer, and he becomes a quite successful lawyer. Mm-hmm. In 1764, he marries Abigail Adams. Right. And that relationship is until Abigail's death in 1818. Okay, gotcha. Because he outlived her by six, seven years or something? Yeah, he outlives her. Mm -hmm. um, And those are like pretty down years for him. It's really like a lifelong bond, which you don't typically see. Yeah, that's true. And it seems like they maintain it even when he's in Europe during the Revolutionary War and she's back in the... They spent so many years apart from each other. Yeah, especially when you think back then when, like, you couldn't just, like, even when he's in, like, Philadelphia and she's in, you know, what, I guess, Braintree or Quincy. Like, that's a several days journey back then. Exactly, yeah. That's not like a six-hour Amtrak or whatever. Yeah, no, when I, like, read about him, they sort of just, like, skip through a lot of the journeys. But it's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's like a week long to go from one place to the next. Yeah, for sure. So it's amazing they could kind of, yeah, maintain that relationship for... Yeah, a little less than 60 years. Seems okay. Yeah, seems about right. And I think weren't they married in the house she was born in, or something like that? Is the Weymouth uh, patron? Patron? I forget how it's pronounced, but yeah, something like that. But I wanted to ask you because you're you're a big president's history buff in general. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's interesting, you know. Uh, and you've visited a lot of places. Have you visited anything Adams related? I have. Yes, I was I was doing shows at Laugh Boston this summer, and I went to uh, the house that they lived in. I think they moved in there when I think they came back from Britain in like 1788, so right before he became vice president. And then I think they lived there until they died. Then I think it became the house for generations afterwards. And then I went to the the crypt where their their tombs are, which is also in Quincy. And so it's him. So it's John, Abigail, John Quincy, and John Quincy's wife, all like in the basement of this church in in Quincy. And then uh, the homes where both John and John Quincy were born are like right next to each other also in Quincy. So you can see. Did you turn like a one show trip into like a week long just to get uh, Yeah, yeah. I think it ended up being a few shows, but yeah. It was, got, uh, it got, I was curious if, it was, it, if the shows were, yeah, well, the real well, reason was the Adams trip and then right, right, the yeah, shows was, were uh, just an afterthought. Yeah, exactly. It, it was funny though, because I guess like the, the house they lived in, the the tickets were all booked. So you, we couldn't get in, but um, we went to the like visitor center and somebody called and the, park ranger he had this like southie accent and, right and he seemed like almost annoyed that people were trying to call him at the last minute like to <laughs> to get tickets to see john and like oh you try to this is john adams here you know what the fuck you think you're doing <laughs> yeah that's interesting the boston accent because i was thinking about that while watching the john adams hbo series which is yeah. based off the mccullough book right and they're putting on like kind of british accents right right i don't know how Boston accents went from that to yeah. the current <laughs> accent. I guess a that's lot true, of immigration yeah. and mixing of you know ang- uh, yeah. accents, but that's true. How did you get from like elegant British English <laughs> to like 
goodwill hunting in a couple hundred years i wish uh paul giamatti had just done full like southie accent for john that would have been uh i think he's probably considering i mean giamatti's performance in that if you haven't seen the hbo series Uh he he really he's doing it at a 10 the whole time there's a lot of yelling yeah he's very like angry and <laughs> veins popping from his forehead yeah, throughout a lot of it for a lot of scenes <laughs> yeah. in what is cumulatively like a nine hour series yeah that's true it's a long yeah what is it six episodes or something or? seven maybe seven okay gotcha and some of them are pushing like full movie length right right yeah that's true they are quite long and there is something just weird about because now when i think john adams i also think paul giamatti Right. So then when I watch like sideways, I'm like, oh, so John Adams is a big, uh, <laughs> big wine drinker. Huh? <laughs> the big wine drinker is, of course, Jefferson. Oh, right. Who, right. like, Jefferson, the things you learn about him is in terms of his, he's like the man of the people type uh-huh. thing, the common man. And at right. the same time, he spends like so much money shopping. Right. And getting wine, food, and all this stuff. Yeah, and like furniture and stuff. Because <laughs> like when they're in France, too, doesn't he spend a ton of money like redecorating whatever his house was? He's obsessed with redecorating yeah. Monticello. Like he's right. Just a that's guy. it. Yeah. Like he's done a lot of things. He's the writer of Declaration of Independence. But at the end of the day, he's like really. He's just a guy who's really into remodeling his house. Right. right. That's his main. That's his main thing. <laughs> <laughs> and because uh, um, he died like in in debt, and I think Adams died actually quite wealthy it's like he sort of he seemed like he sort of lived modestly for a long time and slowly built up yeah and like a decent wealth the money thing is interesting with these presidents because ulysses s grant who's much much later but he also died in like total poverty he was kind of cheated oh yeah that guy what was that guy's name the guy who sort of uh he was like the uh bernie madoff of his day so yeah, to speak yeah. he, but like the salary that they would give these elected officials wasn't really that much and really was a chance that you wouldn't have that much money. Adams thought that political position should pay well. Okay, gotcha. Because he thought otherwise the only people who would run for office would be people who could afford it. Right. It would be sort of an aristocratic position. And And that's kind of throughout his life in terms of his political philosophy, Uh his main fear. The aristocracy is going to take over. Right, right. Gotcha. And then I feel like during his presidency, they did like sort of accuse him of being like pro-monarchy too, especially since his son kind of held so many prominent positions as well. So it's... Yeah, they accuse him because he does want a strong executive. So, I mean, this is getting into We're we're moving forward. So John Adams wrote tons and tons of stuff throughout his life, pamphlets and things that I guess you would consider a book length. And also a lot of letters throughout his life. Right, right. That was uh, that was one of the things I noticed about the McCullough book was like, I feel like a good portion of it is just quotes from like letters, diary entries, and then like McCullough's interpretation. I feel like that's like almost half the book. It's like just sort of interpretation. And it's gold. I mean, the yeah, letters it's... to Abigail back and forth, because as you said, they're apart for so long. Yeah. The letters to his son, John Quincy. Right. And then the real you know, greatest thing that ever happened from the founding era is that John Adams and Jefferson had a long correspondence. Right, right. That's, they're like the Magic Johnson, Larry Bird of (laughs) American history. It's just, it's like great. They came along and, and died at the same time. And then that would make, uh, I guess, James Polk, the Jordan. Yeah, of course. Yeah. James Polk is, yeah. They always called him the goat. uh, Yeah. And, uh, yeah, away, yeah Chester Arthur's that. like the LeBron James of pre- <laughs> U.S. presidents. <laughs> well, yeah, he had a different style. Right, right. Arthur. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, but what I was going to say about him writing so much of stuff is that we really get a good feel of what his political philosophy was. Yeah. And he believed in a very strong executive, you know, what turned out to be called the president, mm-hmm. because that would check the aristocracy from having too much power uh-huh. and from the people themselves from being too powerful. Right. The kind of like mob rule, so to speak, or whatever. And Jefferson was all about the mob rule thing. Yeah. He said, maybe jokingly, that like a revolution every now and then is a good thing. Right, right. What was this? Something about like sort of cleansing the, uh, yeah, cleansing the palate every 25 years or something like that. And it doesn't matter if a lot of people die. And yeah. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, some of his stuff was less, less well thought out with respect <laughs> to that. But. But I think Adams wrote the Massachusetts Constitution, which heavily influenced the U.S. Constitution. For okay. sure, yeah. Like there's a lot of parallel. And I think the Massachusetts Constitution is still largely intact, if I, I could it be wrong about that. the oldest living constitution. Is the Massachusetts Constitution from 1780 while the war is going on. Right, So right. predates the American Constitution. Yeah, by, yeah, what, seven, eight years or yeah. something? Yeah. And I think that was written in that in that same house where John Quincy was born. So that house in Quincy is a you saw it's got, it's got a lot. I, it wasn't open when I was there, but I I took a picture out front. I t- <laughs> yeah. Would you mind writing something? Yeah, exactly. Holding a quill. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's weird though because I think it looks really old, but it's just in this like kind of crowded part of Quincy. So it's just kind of a weird like, oh, that's there. I wonder though if it's like actually the way it was or if it was kind of rebuilt to look the same in the same spot like uh, yeah they just totally did a paint job and, yeah. yeah like if you ever been to theodore Ro- this is a, i guess a whole another thing but theodore roosevelt's birth home on 20 on east 20th street i've uh, actually never been i mean i guess i've passed by it a million times probably it's not far from like gramercy uh, new york comedy club it's yeah. uh but yeah i think that's actually why new york comedy club put their club there yeah exactly it's uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Roosevelt>. exactly <laughs> <laughs> gotta have them both nearby and i think also where chester arthur took the oath of office like at lexington in 26th oh wow that's when he so found out that, the perfect midpoint. yeah like right in between <laughs> that's the new york comedy club this is the midpoint between theodore roosevelt's birth home and chester <laughs> arthur's inaugural site <laughs> but anyway i think that house was torn down but like years later i think his wife wanted to build some kind of memorial to him so they just sort of rebuilt it in the same place oh okay. and tried to guess what it so it's like his birth home but it's not i think it's like a recreation like a t-rex yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> really? but it's uh, <laughs> guess i sort of wonder if it's the same with some of those uh, i definitely could be all right so going back to the uh, chronology of adams's life he's he's a lawyer he's a successful one and one of the major events that starts to make him a well-known figure is in 1770, there's something called the Boston Massacre. Right. And already the British are taxing the American colonies and Mm -hmm. no taxation without representation. People in America, particularly in Massachusetts, who are particularly affected by these taxes, Uh are starting to fight back. Right, right. And then don't the British sort of send more soldiers for reinforcement? Is that kind of the... Yes. Okay, gotcha. The precursor for for all this. and. So the British sends more soldiers, and the Boston Massacre is an instance where British soldiers fired and killed a few members of an American crowd. Adams defends the British soldiers. Right, because nobody else was really willing, because it was very kind of anti-British sentiment in Boston at the time. And uh, But he sort of believed in the right to counsel, the right to a fair trial. And somehow wins the case. Right. So I think there were 
two cases, if I remember correctly. There's a captain who was acquitted because they couldn't prove that he ordered them to fire on the crowd. And then I think of the eight soldiers, I think six were acquitted, but two were convicted of mans. Is that? Yes. Okay, something along those lines. Yes, but so he, I guess I, I stand corrected. He did, uh, not, he, he did not do a full sweep. Right, but, but I think he was pretty close. He was, whatever, <laughs> seven of nine. That's a good... Uh, yeah, good ratio. It's a <laughs> but it's a pretty cool instance, and it happens again where he sort of does the thing. He's a guy who really stood by his moral compass and didn't particularly care what other people thought. Right, right. Because I think that was sort of a yeah ballsy move to to yeah because I guess like I always think like back to like high school, middle school when they teach you about the Boston Massacre. That's like the moment everyone began to hate the British. So it's then weird to like later figure out that John Adams, this was the moment John Adams decided to defend them because he believed in the right to a fair trial, basically. And he eventually does actually gain a lot of respect from it for standing by his principles. Right. He is called for the first Continental Congress in Philadelphia. Right. Which doesn't really get anywhere. Right. Yeah, that, that one's the one that was like mostly inconsequential, right? That was pre- Lexington and Concord. Yeah. So then Lexington and Concord happens where Mm. basically in Massachusetts shots are fired and the war essentially begins at Lexington and Concord before they declare independence. Right. Because Lexington and Concord was 1775 maybe. I think, um, and he's nearby too. Like, so doesn't even visit some of the wounded soldiers after. Yes. Because I don't think Quincy's that far from, or Quincy or Braintree or wherever. I always forget how... Because I think they used to be separate cities. Now they're one, or right, or they used to be one, and now I forget. But he's not far from Lexington and Concord, so I think he visits some of the troops in the days afterwards, and, and before he heads to the back to Philadelphia. So he's very, and that's the thing about him taking the lead when yeah. it gets to the Second Continental Congress, which happens after Lexington and Concord. So the chances of declaring independence are much much higher. Right, right. It makes sense that someone from Massachusetts is going to be on the forefront of this. Right, yeah, that's true. It makes sense. Because a lot of what's going on, including these literal battles, but yeah. also, you know, the Boston Tea Party, the tea tax, yeah. affects them. that happened. In uh, yeah, Boston Massacre. Like, a lot of those early pre-revolution events are all kind of in his backyard, I guess. And he gets to the Continental Congress, the Second Continental Congress, which has all big names. Yeah, that's part. that's true. Yeah, the uh, HBO series, it is kind of funny. It's just like all these, like, it's like a real star. It's like the uh, the red carpet at the Oscars. But well, to continue your thing, that's the dream team, then. Yeah, you're right. This is like the '92 dream team. You got <laughs> you got Washington, you got Jefferson, you got Franklin. You got... And one of the things that Adams realizes pretty quickly is that in order for independence to gain approval, Virginia needs to take a leading role. Right, because Virginia is sort of the big, sort of the biggest colony. It's got the it's the most powerful. And one of the things he does in order to make this happen is he suggests that the leader of the Continental Army should be George Washington. George Washington, right. And that was one of those things where McCullough's basically like, even if he had just done that. That's enough to, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't stop there. Yeah. <laughs> that's true, yeah, that's a, yeah, he really is sort of like one of those figures where throughout this whole period he just pops up, so he's there for the, the Boston Massacre, he's not far from Lexington and Concord. He nominates George Washington, and he's at both Continental Congresses. And, and he's the guy who's on the floor kind of the most ardently calling for independence and trying to strike deals in order to make sure that as right. many states as possible vote on it. 
Right, right. And I think, if I remember correctly, his speech sort of in early July 1776 is what sort of put it over the edge for the, yeah, the unanimous vote. Apparently, Dickinson from Pennsylvania, who was one of the, he was like a Quaker and just very much a pacifist, uh-huh. was one of the main guys who was against independence and sort of holding it back. Yeah. And he gives a great speech warning mm-hmm. the colonies about declaring independence, at least now. I think he yeah. thought that it would happen eventually, but just don't right. do it now. Yeah. And then apparently people are like brought to tears and they're, you know, banging their uh, canes or whatever. All right. (laughs) (laughs) And then Adams rebuts with like an even better speech. Well, yeah. And it it sounds like they were all kind of just like spontaneous too, like, which seems impressive because I feel like with us, we like when we do stand up, it's all like well written and we practice it a million times and he just gets up and he's like, he's riffing. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's, yeah, he, he riffed the United States independence. That's, that's pretty impressive. (laughs) And he's using big words. Yeah. I mean, if he, if he could do reels, he'd, be crazy these days i think the only problem with reels is that it's way too long i think that the speeches might have been that's true they would have swiped up he would have done a all riffing special right right (laughs) (laughs) yeah which would have been something yeah if john adams had a netflix special yeah he would definitely would have made a good amount of money off it because he did have the business acumen jefferson would have just gone straight to youtube yeah jefferson would have been like a writer for the tonight show and would have spent all his money on refurnishing his park avenue apartment or something but it is interesting the idea of being a good political speaker public speaker because george washington and jefferson were not right yeah that's true i always forget too that jefferson was also kind of a quiet guy and uh didn't he like just like he would just send his speech like his state of the unions to congress or something or is that yeah he would not give the state of the union in public he would just like write it down because he was a great writer right right because you know when washington takes the oath that at Federal Hall, like they can barely hear him. He's like very quiet. He's just like, ah, George Washington. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, the McCullough um, description of it is so interesting because it's like people were brought to tears and they were like, here's this, like the greatest person ever is being right, right. president. But at the same time, it's like, well, I don't really understand yeah, fucking words. Yeah, what's he saying? Like, why is he so quiet? <laughs> I also found out recently that the Federal Hall that's there now is not the same one. It was there back then, and that that bummed me out. I thought <laughs> I was hoping it was the same. But <laughs> so Adams has a very very central role in the con- Second Continental Congress, eventually declaring independence. He also is one of five members on a committee to draft an actual Declaration of Independence. Okay, gotcha. I never realized there were five. I, I mean, I know like Franklin, Adams, and Jefferson. Who are the other two? Livingston from Livingston. New York. Okay. And New York is the only state that abstains from uh, okay, from uh, voting for independence. Okay, so it's like a 12-0-1 thing. It's a 12-0-1 thing. And it's always kind of like, I was always sort of, I learned that fact a long time ago and was always kind of embarrassed. Uh, okay, so you're a... Uh, Native New Yorker, yeah, yeah, yeah. your lifelong, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from California. They didn't even vote, those pussies. Yeah. <laughs> and I believe the last one was Sherman from Connecticut. I feel like it must suck to be some of those founding fathers. Like, I feel like there's there's a lot of Christian Leitners at the Second Continental Congress to continue the dream team analogy. <laughs> it was just a... But the guy who is most responsible for writing it is Jefferson, and... Adams, again, knowing that a Virginian would be important, and I think he had some other reasons as well for having Jefferson be the guy, not least of which is that he was a very good writer, is that he was he was from Virginia and right. realized, again, that that might be the best person to actually write it. I was listening to a whole thing 
about Adams's contribution to the Declaration of Independence mm-hmm. is that apparently he's largely responsible for the word happiness. Ah, interesting. Because it was life, liberty, and property initially? Was that the original? Yeah. Ah, okay, gotcha. The so typical, he was... like, John Locke philosopher type thing is property is the third. Okay, gotcha. But the pursuit of happiness. Pursuit of happiness, which is yeah. kind of huge, I think. Yeah, and, and a good movie, too. It's a... <laughs> <laughs> also, Abigail's father's name is William Smith. I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of Will Smith things. There's a lot of Will Smith's things yeah. in uh, in the John Adams. Yeah. <laughs> and famously, Adams was once ridiculed for being bald, and Abigail Adams slapped. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was like, yeah, that's but yeah, possible. <laughs> um, so it actually is kind of possible. There. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I could see. It. Like that's not. There are definitely of... instances when you see like people arguing in yeah. Congress during this time period where they just beat the shit out of each other. Right, right. It wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't shock me if yeah, something, <laughs> uh, something like that did happen. And I guess she was a kind of a fierce defender of his honor, like especially when he was president, and they had a lot of like the partisan newspapers that would go after yeah, him and stuff like exactly. that. Exactly. Hamilton said it, and yeah. Abigail was like, "Get yeah. your husband's fucking." When Abigail slapped Hamilton. <laughs> so Adams is not only crucial because of the declaration, but because he then becomes a diplomat, which he largely is for over ten years. Yeah, I feel like that's like that's such an interesting period between the declaration of independence. And then when he becomes vice president in 1789 is like, he's just like in Europe the whole time. And he's doing like a lot of shit. He's huge. I mean, uh, one of the big things is that America wants to make a treaty with France. They need France's help. Right. War and France's enemies with England. So it makes a lot of sense. Right. Right. And Adams along with Benjamin Franklin are people that are in France in order to try to get money and arms and support. Yeah, for sure. And then how long is he in France? I always forget. Because then he goes to the Netherlands for a while, too. He eventually, about three years after France, goes to the Netherlands. Uh-huh. And that one, he's sort of going rogue. Yeah, because he's not like officially, or is he later on? He's like the f- first minister to the Netherlands or something. that, And he establishes like what's technically the first U.S. embassy overseas. Which is insane. Yeah, just like as a side thing. He's like, hey, guys, I'll... <laughs> You've never heard of this, but I'm going to do an embassy over at uh, The Hague. And one thing, going back to what we were saying before about these journeys not just being your everyday, you know, get there in six hours type thing. Right, yes. His trip originally from America to France, Mm -hmm. I mean, he almost gets killed. Right, because isn't there some confrontation with the British on the way? I they definitely get attacked by a British ship. Yeah. That is like a you know whole ordeal. They get into incredible storms. Yeah. And he takes with him, by the way, John Quincy. Right. Yeah. John Quincy is a whole other <laughs> underrated person, I feel like, in U.S. history. Oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, and John Quincy is just a kid at the time, but he yeah. like, speaks like 50 languages and he's just right, this ridiculously right. precocious. Like, yeah. He's like always reading. And then I think he ends up going off to like Russia and... I feel like he's just nonstop learning uh, throughout his whole life. And it seems like a nice father-son relationship. Yeah, I feel like it is. I feel like we don't give those two the credit they deserve. Like, they, 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 they're quite impressive, I think, in a number of ways. And important. I mean, yeah, talking about establishing a embassy in the Netherlands, he yeah. helps, you know, he gets into some tips with Franklin, so that's part of the reason why he eventually leaves France to right. go to the Netherlands. 
because he sort of grows to not respect Franklin as much because Franklin's kind of like a almost like a playboy in France right? like he's very popular and he's kind of a philanderer and kind of lazy and stuff like that just and so Adam starts to disrespect that and also I think that the thing about Adams's personality the words that are often used to describe him can't he can be difficult Right, right. Like he's easily annoyed. He seems like he's kind of, uh, yeah, he's got a short fuse. And so if you piss him off, he... And he speaks his mind as opposed to kind of what we were talking about with Jefferson, who seems to be more of a guy who is quiet and reserved and then will write angry things about you in letters and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Adams will just say it. He'll just riff his anger. Yeah. (laughs) But he does help in France, help uh, establish what ends up being a treaty that's absolutely a uh, relationship between America and France that is essential for victory. Right, right. When the war ends, or when Yorktown happens in the war, the fighting ostensibly ends, he goes back to France and helps broker the Treaty of Paris, which is the official treaty that ends the, ends the Revolutionary War. So, yeah. Was that 1785 or 1783? I, I think was... three. Okay. Gotcha. And that's like him, Franklin, and John Jay. Uh, and so, I mean, he's, this is, I mean, these are all the major events. Or yeah. He's literally just like events. everywhere. Yeah. He's like, I feel like he's like the Forrest Gump of uh, <laughs> like early U.S. history where he just happens to be everywhere where the big things are going on almost. <laughs> the Forrest Gump, I, I, that reference was also used in an episode recently about Marquis de Lafayette. Oh, gotcha. Also kind of a Forrest Gump because he was part of both revolutions. Oh, interesting. But Adams is kind of more of a Forrest Gump in terms of like literally being at the most important exact place at the most important time. Yeah. I think with Adams though, maybe it's less, it's less like a coincidence that he just happens to be there. And it's also, it's to some extent it's like he's, he's pushing for this stuff. He's pushing for the declaration of independence. He's pushing for the Treaty of Paris and uh he's the engine yeah yeah I mean I guess the uh yeah the Boston Massacre stuff in Lexington and Concord he was just nearby but, but yeah maybe it's it's less coincidence and more would you let more causal less correlative or whatever is that the yeah, right I don't know I if that's, that's right. right yeah that, correlation would be that they just happen to be next to each other yeah I guess so okay as opposed to he's sort of the the engine behind it yeah. in some cases so and then after the Treaty of Paris he becomes the first ambassador to England. Right, right. So, yeah. like, the first ambassador to the country that they just achieved independence from. Right, right. And then, yeah, isn't he goes and sees the king at some point, I think. And I remember that scene from the uh, the HBO series seemed, like, accurate. That was one of the... I think that there's, like, a bit of a tension there between him and King George III, but right. the first meeting seems to go okay. Right, right. Where George says, you've been in France so long... I think maybe you have ties to the French, and Adams is like, I only have ties to my own country. Right, right. Yeah, he's very patriotic. And George is on on board with that. Those years are considered pretty frustrating in terms of reaching agreements with the English. He eventually leaves in 1788 while he is in England, the Constitution is written. Right. Okay. Yeah. So he, because the Constitution was ratified 1788, and then sort of it gets implemented. Like 1789 is when he becomes vice president, and George yeah. Washington becomes president. And there's a bit of a Hamilton is kind of behind the scenes, and this is getting to uh, John Adams's vice presidency and his presidency, where it's like it's kind of the classic example of mm-hmm. 
being in the middle means everyone hates you as opposed to everyone loving you. Right. Yeah. I think especially during his presidency, cause he's sort of, I feel like he's not quite like a Hamiltonian federalist and he's definitely not a Jeffersonian Republican. So I feel like everyone kind of hates him, but he maybe finds the right middle path. It seems like with the, but people hate him. Yeah. But people still hate him. In maybe. retrospect, I think that a lot of the stuff he did was great. Right. Like during the quasi war with France and things like that. And yeah. So, all right. So vice presidency, right. vice president, start with that. <laughs> <laughs> So he becomes Washington's vice president. Washington is pretty unanimously considered the guy to be president. Right. Yeah. I think didn't they even want it to be unanimous for like the solidification? I I still don't totally even feel like I fully grasp how elections took place back then because it wasn't president, vice president. It wasn't like there was like a Washington Adams ticket. Adams just got second and that made him vice president. Yeah. They have electors from each state and second place becomes each electors uh get to choose their top two okay gotcha so that's why adams gets any votes yeah he's like a plurality of second place votes basically and then he becomes vice president because he's in second place which is one of those things where it's like yeah considering modern politics yeah it's the worst idea ever yeah that would be funny if they did it now so you'd have like a trump president hillary clinton vice president that would have been that'd be that'd be fun actually it'd be entertaining um so he becomes vice president and one of the things that happens early in washington's presidency that adams gets very passionate about is what to call the president oh right <laughs> he's got a whole bunch of different titles like some of them are quite long too like, <laughs> his majesty the president or yeah adams is a big proponent of calling washington something similar to royalty Right, just to kind of give him that status that he gets the respect he deserves as as president. And it seems like a lot of people around Adams both disagree with these titles and also are like, why is this guy making such a big deal? Right, right, yeah. (laughs) So immediately the vice presidency kind of gets off to a rocky foot for him in terms of popularity. Yeah, and the vice presidency is like kind of a do-nothing role, especially back then. Yeah, so Adams technically, just like now, you know, you get the vote in Senate if there's a tie. But other than that, there's no official duties. Other than that, he's just the guy to come next. What One thing I learned recently was that Washington, though, at one point during his presidency, got really sick. Oh, yeah, I think that does sound familiar. Like, he really did almost die. And he does die, like, two, three years after. Like, he dies during Adam, Adams' presidency. Yeah, 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 yeah. Washington is president for two terms, and then in, you know, the greatest move ever decides Uh, to step down right right yeah and the main contenders are adams and jefferson right and at this point there are forming two political parties and washington and adams don't like this particularly washington who in his farewell address one of the main messages he gives is don't have political parties right right for sure and the two parties are the Federalists, mm-hmm. and their leader is Alexander Hamilton. Right. And the Federalists, as the name implies, believe in a strong federal government. Right. Just, I mean, to keep it as yeah. simple. And then you have the Democratic Republicans led by Jefferson, and they're much more small government, power of the people type thing. Right, right. Ideologically, Adams seems to be more on the side of the Federalists. Right, right. But he also hates the fact that these parties exist. Yeah, and him and Hamilton sort of have a... Like, they grow to hate each other during his presidency. And 
he and Hamilton end up having a terrible relationship. Right. Because I think it's in part that when he becomes president, when Adams becomes president, he chooses to keep Washington's cabinet as a sense of like continuity and keep making sure that, I don't know, I guess the government still functions and nobody nobody's pissed off. But a lot of them are Federalists who are loyal to Hamilton. So Hamilton was kind of like working behind the scenes to to influence the executive branch. Yeah. And the big question of Adams's presidency, Adams becomes president in, in 1797. International relations is kind of one of the main issues, mm-hmm. which is basically, does America side more with Great Britain or does America side more with France, the two countries that are at war together? Right, right. France is still in the middle of this crazy revolution, which Jefferson really approved of even and then it devolved into this like everyone getting their heads chopped off reign of terror right right and adams very early on after the storming of the bastille early in the french revolution was like this is not going to end well right right because this all kind of starts during like washington's term so way before and the question becomes yeah which side to be closer to during washington's presidency there's something called the jay treaty where america seems to be warming up a little more to great britain and the Hamiltonians pro Britain, the Jeffersonians pro France. Right, and Jay Treaty kind of made the French think that the the United States was essentially aligning itself with Britain in their war because they start like seizing American merchant ships that are doing trade with Britain. Is then there's the X Y Z affair. Right. So and the X Y Z affair is basically where three three French agents you know, nicknamed X Y and Z. Mm-hmm. They basically ask for bribes in right. order to reach a settlement with America, and Americans are like so like insulted. Yeah, exactly, and that kind of leads to less because I feel like there was more popular support for the French Revolution pre that because it was sort of there were parallels with the U.S. Revolution, but after that, I think they yeah uh, support for French like goes down. And I think Adams's approval goes up, and after that, Adams's approval goes up because it's early in his presidency yeah. and. His goal is to, he doesn't want war. I mean, that's basically Adams' stance. Right, right. He sort of feels like the country might not really be ready for it yet because it's still, whatever, year, year 10 of the, the Constitution. Or... And he wants to build up a navy. That's kind of his big dream, and he does right. that successfully. Right, right. But as war with France looks like it's becoming more and more likely, they also build a standing army with Jefferson, with Washington coming back from retirement as right. a general. See, yeah, he is the Michael Jordan of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is, uh, but it's more of his wizard's ears, not because yeah. I think Washington's basically dying. Well, he wants his number two to be Hamilton. Right, exactly. He won't do it unless Hamilton's his number two, basically. And Adams is not that big of a fan of it, and neither is Abigail because they think that Hamilton is insanely ambitious and basically wants to be an American Napoleon. Right, right. That's the yeah, doesn't. Abigail even call him like a yeah. an American Napoleon or something. It's, exactly, yeah. and I think Adams calls him a Creole bastard at one point. Oh, I didn't know. That's yeah. moment. Yeah. yeah, you might get you might get canceled for that now. If that I was, think that's actually in the musical Hamilton. Oh, which was weird to me because I, I don't know the musical so so well. I saw it once, yeah. but it's like that's one of the few things they do with Adams, and it's <laughs> like of all the people in the show, Adams was probably he's got the best record when it comes to race. <laughs> yeah, I think probably. Probably by far. You know? <laughs> um, Hamilton never technically owned slaves and was an abolitionist, but yeah. he married into a slave family, the Schuylers. Right. right, right. And helped them with 
some of their organizing and selling of slaves. Yeah, Adams is probably yeah probably still have some more pristine record on <laughs> on slavery, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so during this time period, it's called the Quasi War with France. It's almost like the first Cold War. Yeah, I guess that's that's true. Yeah, there's like a little bit of stuff going on, but for the most part, it's a lot of fear. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And there are passed in Congress, and Adams didn't start it, but he also didn't disapprove of it. What are known as the Alien and Sedition Acts, right, right, in 1798. And when people talk about Adams's presidency, this is the major. Yeah, that's true. He really does get a bad rap, but it is true he didn't. He didn't like write them. He just sort of signed them. Yeah, signed them into law, which is not, you know, you know, I guess he deserves some blame. But it was like the Federalist Congress that wrote them and passed them, and then I think at the urging of Abigail, he signs them. Abigail's very pro, very pro, because she doesn't like how they talk shit about him in the press. And exactly, I mean, you're getting to the point. These elections, the first one that elected Adams, and then later the one where he's going to lose, mm-hmm. it's becoming insanely partisan right right and people going after each other yeah major you know sex scandals with hamilton yeah true years later after adams is kind of out of the picture you have the sally hemmings jefferson right right scandal yeah Yeah, i feel like some of the stuff back then was even worse like they always say like oh we're so divided now i think it was worse back then they were it was worse i think that one thing that was just different not better or worse is that people like jefferson wouldn't be public about it. They would have uh, other people do it for uh, them. Oh, they were kind of, yeah, gotcha. They... But Jefferson, the more you read about Adams, the more you dislike Jefferson. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think much. so, yeah. <laughs> and Jefferson seems like the kind of guy who, according to Adams, was insanely ambitious yeah. and wanted power and was pretty ruthless in terms of getting it, uh-huh. but tried to play the role of the opposite. Right, right. And Adams kind of saw through it. Yeah, true. Yeah, definitely. Um, So Alien and Sedition Acts, along with something called the Naturalization Act, basically becomes harder for immigrants to become citizens. It takes longer. Right. And also the president or the government has the right to deport basically whoever they want, assuming that they're French spies and stuff like that. Right. Because aren't there four? It's like Alien Friends Act, Alien Enemies, Naturalization and Sedition or something. And the Sedition one seems like the worst because that's the one where basically restricts uh, free speech. Right. It sort of goes directly against the First Amendment. And is like, if you speak out against the government or about policy, you can be in prison. Right. And this is all like pre-judicial review, too. So it's not like they can challenge it at the courts. And I think that's when Madison and Jefferson wrote the, was it the Virginia and Kentucky resolutions where they say states can nullify any federal laws that they deem to be unconstitutional? Yeah, Jefferson writing the Kentucky resolutions essentially plants the seed for secession of the South yeah, 60 that's, years later. Yeah, that's sort of the beginning of, of that. It's a, uh, yeah. Beginning the, of, and it happens a few more times before South Carolina secedes in, you know, right, right. in 1860. But he essentially, Jefferson says these acts are terrible, which, you know, they, they probably were. Right, right. But that states should have the right to basically just say, no, like, yeah, it's not our law. Exactly. Because I feel like back then they couldn't say we're going to challenge us at the Supreme Court. So his solution was just, yeah, we just won't abide by it. <laughs> and these acts, I think, partly contribute to Adams not winning re-election. It's a very yeah. close yeah, I'm always surprised by how... Cl- I always forget how close that was. Yeah. And it was like New York was like the swing state, basically. Like Jefferson wins New York, and that's 
the difference between 1800 and 1796, more or less. Right? And Aaron Burr plays a large part in yeah. getting New York for Jefferson. Right. And also Hamilton, who hates Jefferson and yeah. is his main rival, seems to hate Adams even more. Right, yeah. And then I guess Burr even, I mean, foreshadowing. But uh, Because I think that, that rule we were talking about with elections earlier, like Jefferson and Burr actually tie. like, And Adams gets third. And so the House ends up deciding that Jefferson's president. And, and Aaron Burr becomes Jefferson's and, vice. Right, exactly, before he kills Hamilton four years later or whatever. It is. <laughs> yeah, after Burr kills, kills Hamilton four years later, then he's a pariah. Yeah, right, because then Jefferson has a different vice president as second term, right? Clinton? Is it George Clinton? I think so. Okay, gotcha. That's true, yeah, because I always think it's funny that one of our early vice presidents is also has the same name as a funk legend, you know, it's a... Is it, oh is, yeah. yeah, I was thinking for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron Burr was. Yeah. Yeah. You never heard of funk legend Aaron Burr? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, eventually Jefferson does win the presidency, and then Democratic Republicans take over for a very long time. Yeah, and it's sort of the end of parties for a while until like the Jacksonians come into play. However many years. 30 years later, or something yeah. like that, or 28 years uh, later. 20, well, 24 years later. Yeah, because I guess. What were John Quincy like? Because John Quincy wins in eighteen twenty four, yeah, and defeats Jackson, sort of, even though he loses the popular vote and doesn't, yeah, and fewer electoral votes too. But were they? All, I feel like there were no parties in that election. Or am I? Jackson sort of starts up the Democrats, the second party system. Okay. At that point, Quincy Adams, who was James Monroe's Secretary of State, yeah, he kind of goes to. He's a Republican, basically. He's sort right. of almost the opposite party as his father Yeah. at that point. And then, yeah, the second real party system. The Federalists hang around after Jefferson is elected, and they sort of really disband at the end of World War... Uh, at World War. At the, end <laughs> of the war. They're sticking war. around, yeah. <laughs> yeah, remember when FDR beat the, the famous Federalist in the election of 1936. So Adams leaves the presidency and does retire. I mean, Yeah, he returns to... He basically returns to Quincy Braintree for the that same house they moved into in 1788, I think. And a few like personal tragedies happen to him. His son dies. He's an alcoholic. Uh, I think dies while he's president, right? Charles dies. Oh, yeah. At the end of his presidency, Charles dies. Yeah, because I think he's like 30 or something when he yeah. dies. So. so at the end of his presidency, Charles, one of his sons, dies. He, he was an alcoholic. Right. And then... Much later on, after his presidency, Nabby, his daughter, passes away. Right, of like breast cancer, right, I think? Yeah, breast cancer, and she got a mastectomy. Oh, yeah. Which, without anesthesia, yeah, must that's... have been insanely painful. Right, that's all, I don't know how accurate it is, but that's all like depicted in the HBO series. And it's quite <laughs> right. like... It's gotta be. Yeah, it's quite gruesome. Brutal. And, and yeah. quite, like when she actually dies, it's quite quite sad, I remember. yeah. And I think they also had another child who died like at age three or something. Yeah. Long. I think I think they had five kids all together. There was Nabby, John Quincy, Charles. I think Susanna was the one who died at age three, and then Thomas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what he did. I feel like he lived but didn't 
didn't live up. Didn't live real Adams. Yeah, he yeah. wasn't. He didn't live up to the rest of the no, Adams. Yeah. yeah, I mean the amount of famous Adams, by the way, it's because you've got John Adams and John Quincy Adams, both presidents. Uh-huh. Henry Adams later okay. on writes one of the most famous autobiographies of all time. Uh, okay, I and then you. Samuel Adams, as in the beer, was a big time revolutionary who was John's second cousin. Okay, yeah, I always forget what their specific relate, but they are related. They're, yes. And because I feel like early in the early revolution, he was kind of the more he was the the big the guy. Yeah, yeah, he was sort of the first. Because I think he was the one who even initiated the first Continental Congress. Was correct? there? Yeah, he's definitely there. And I feel like he was sort of one of the big, like the early revolutionaries. Yeah, where, for sure. Like he was more radical, I think, than because I think John was sort of we have to oppose these British measures, but we should remain loyal to the crown. Where I think. Samuel seemed a little more radical. The Sons of Liberty. <laughs> right, right. The Sons of Liberty. Yeah. <laughs> and I believe that on the Sam Adams beer, the photograph uh, or the picture uh, is not of Sam Adams, but of Paul Revere. Whoa. I do not know why. That's so weird. That's like, almost, yeah, it's, you see, you just mix up founding fathers. I don't know if it was just an error at the beginning. Interesting. Let's see, what? Samuel Adams. And what's the origin of, like, why did they choose to name, like, does he have any connection to it way back? Or is it just like, hey, we like Sam Adams? I think it's just great marketing. It's like, let's <laughs> just grab it with a esoteric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just something. I mean, it's a great way, I guess, to kind of learn about history is like make a beer named after like a prominent yet less, less famous historical figure. Yeah. Just go like, Yeah. I mean, the competing, you know, yeah. Roger Sherman. Yeah. Cider. yeah. <laughs> That's another thing where, yeah, Adams, like, he's not on the currency like Hamilton. He's not a two term president like Washington and Jefferson. And he's not even, he doesn't even have his own beer he like Samuel. Have any alcohol. Yeah. Whatsoever. So nobody, so everyone forgets it. You know, he had, he had nothing. Isn't that, I know there's something similar. Like, there's a statue at Harvard that's supposed to be of John Harvard, but it's, it's actually a statue of somebody else. Yeah. I forget who it is or. To be honest with you, I think I only know that because it's in that movie, The Social Network. But <laughs> So one thing that I did want to say about Adams' life between his presidency and when he dies is that after over a decade of yeah. not corresponding with Thomas Jefferson, yeah. they reignite their friendship. Right. Basically, Thomas Jefferson and Adams were at a lot of the same stuff together. They met each other during the Second Continental Congress, worked together for independence. Later on, they're in France together. Jefferson befriends Abigail. Yeah, because they were quite close when they all lived in Europe. They go shopping together. Yeah, and I feel like... a big thing. And I feel like one of the other... And it wasn't like he quite... Like he was sort of a figure in John Quincy's life at a young age. He was a figure in John Quincy's life, and also Abigail took in oh, the, Jefferson's daughter for a little she, while. Yeah. So Jefferson and Adams are very much at odds, not just because they differed so much on politics with England and France and all that yeah. stuff, but also it's clear that Jefferson sponsored some of the very, very hateful attacks on Adams. Right, right. Abigail is the one that begins to start up the correspondence again with Jefferson after Jefferson's daughter dies. Oh, and that's the one that she kind of took care of when they were all in Europe? Is yes. That? Okay, gotcha. And Abigail reaches out, and Jefferson's kind of like, thanks, but like, here are the reasons I'm mad at John and stuff like uh, that. Yeah, he's, yeah, real petty. <laughs> yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> yeah, what a, what a bitch. <laughs> and then Benjamin Rush, another revolutionary slash doctor. Doc- yeah, right. Because in the, I think that's another thing that I, I keep going back to the HBO series, but 
he's like the one who does the surgery on I don't think in Nabby life. in real life I don't think and he yeah. also like inoculates them against smallpox in the series and I don't think that's accurate yeah they make it seem like Benjamin Rush was their household doctor when really yeah. he was like a good friend who was a doctor right right but one thing that Benjamin Rush was really into was analyzing dreams oh I didn't know that and he had a dream that Thomas Jefferson and John Adams would reignite their friendship and start writing letters together. And he yeah. told this to John Adams. Yeah. And after a lot of time, John Adams agrees to extend the olive branch. Right, right. And two of the most important figures in revolutionary history start yeah. a correspondence right. where they lay out their thoughts on basically everything, including on government and their time yeah. working in government. Right, right. And it goes on for years, right? It goes they, on for yeah. years. That is weird to think about that because I'm assuming they wrote the letters and then they just have to send it off and somebody just carries it down from Boston to Virginia or yeah is that because that's yeah that's gonna take a while too yeah maybe they're talking about timely things and by the time it gets there they're just completely outdated right right yeah I wonder. again going back to jokes where it's just like at the time like yeah. you did that joke on you know the queen dying right yeah was, by the time Jefferson gets yeah he's like what that's not that's such a that's such a hack bit I've already <laughs> I've already heard it at like eight open mics <laughs> so. and then the creepiest thing maybe in the history of the United States yeah. On July 4th, 1826, the exact 50-year anniversary yeah. of the Declaration of Independence, yeah. both John Adams and Thomas Jefferson die. Yeah, that is why. Like, I almost feel like I don't believe it. Like, it's, it's too, like, too good to be true. It's amazing. Like, there's part of me that thinks, like, Adams died the next day, and they're like, just say it was, they just told, yeah, just like, say it was yesterday. <laughs> it's fine, you know. It's, I think, yeah, for sure. It is said that technically... Jefferson died before Adams, but Adams obviously didn't know that. Yeah. And that his last words were, Thomas Jefferson lives. Yeah, so his last words were totally incorrect. He <laughs> just yeah, went out on a bad note. <laughs> but part of me wonders if like that, because I always wonder too, like even if somebody were analyzing our lives in present day, you'd still just miss a lot of stuff, even though there's so many records of everything we're doing. Right. Like, how, you know, and there were, I guess, a, a lot of records of what, with their, you know, their letters and their diaries and things like that, but like. Part of like, yeah, did they really? Did he really say that? Or was I don't. Th I don't yeah. know. It's I it's mean, a good story. Though, it yeah. is fun when people's last words are because Jackson has a similar thing where it's like one of his last words are like, "I wish I had killed Henry Clay." John C. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty like, funny. Yeah, you you very... think that uh, yeah. someone's last words are going to be you know not petty and yeah very wise? And right. right. People are just like, ah, fuck uh, fuck I I never liked him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, so, uh, John Adams. Why did you choose John Adams as your your second choice behind uh, Bobby Fischer? <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, the Bobby Fischer John Adams come. Um, I don't. Know, I just felt like kind of. It seemed like it had a lot. We'd have a lot to work with, and it would be, yeah, fun. I'd read the McCullough book this summer, and as I mentioned earlier, was in Boston, so I went to some of the sites, and uh, I mean, I feel like I could do. I could do these with you for, for years. So, <laughs> so I figured why not choose him for this one. But um, yeah, nothing in particular. Just thought it might be an interesting one. And uh, I mean, I do. The more I do read about him, I think that I agree with him on a lot of things. Yeah, I think that's part of it. As you alluded to earlier, he's sort of like, I feel like he's underappreciated to some extent as far as. And his general outlook that people are, his general outlook is that People are very flawed, unlike Jefferson, who yeah. sort of stroked the ego of America, was just like, you guys, as long as it's the people ruling, you're the greatest, and we're a city on the hill, yeah, and exactly. be good. It's... Adams was much more, no, like, just because we're sort of starting anew, 
class structures will form and yeah. there's going to be corruption. And what we need is a government yeah. in order to check each other and bring out the best society possible. Right, right. We sort of need to guard against the the frailties of human behavior and things like that. But what I kind of always, what I thought was touching almost about reading about him is like he talked so much about how humans are envious and selfish and corrupt and all this stuff. Yeah. But when like Jefferson, for example, actually mm. proved him right, he yeah. was kind of surprised. He, you know, uh, like he was kind of like, like, how dare you yeah. prove, prove me right. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. seemed like behind all of his pessimism uh. about human nature, he actually was like a hopeful guy. Oh uh, God. Yeah. He was sort of optimistic about the future. And, yeah. Yeah. Have you seen, uh, 1776? Scene 17. Is that a musical? No, I haven't before seen Before Hamilton, well before. There is a musical uh-huh. uh, from the 60s, I think. Oh, okay. About the writing of the Declaration of Independence. Interesting. John Adams is the star. Oh, as he, as he maybe should be. You know, he's, yeah. Do you feel like part of it is because he was short? Like he doesn't have. Because Jefferson and Washington were both like 6'2, six, 6'3. Six, and Adams was, what, 5'7 or something? I, I think that that is a kind of a part of it. And the fact that he was number two and not number three. Like, it's very hard to follow Washington. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, because I feel like all the stuff even outside of the presidency is so significant and so important. Like, like the stuff, the most important parts of his life are almost have nothing to do with his presidency. Which is kind of true for John Quincy Adams, too. Yeah, because John Quincy served in Congress after he got defeated in 1828 and was like a staunch abolitionist congressman until the day he died. And it almost seems more impressive than all. Yeah. Like both before and at, like the four years of his presidency are almost the afterthought. Yeah. It's like the least significant years of John Quincy's life by by far, actually. I mean, if you read the David McCullough biography of John Adams, he doesn't become president until page like 500. Yeah. He's out of office by page like 550 or something. Yeah, it's true. I mean, there's sort of the quasi war with France and then the alien and sedition, but it's not a real compared to his time in Europe and during the revolution in New England. Yeah. And then even his yeah his letters with Jefferson and his post presidency years yeah maybe maybe second to John Quincy like the presidency is the least significant portion of his life I'm, absolutely I'm trying to think if there's anybody else who has a not many because John Quincy is one of the rare examples he's the only person who ever ran for Congress after being president right right so he's a rare example of a president that was very much relevant after his presidency right right. In terms of like doing more stuff outside of the presidency than the actual presidency, I mean, I mean, you, you could I guess pick the people who did little, like Garfield or something. But, <laughs> yeah, William or, Harris. Yeah, William Harris. <laughs> yeah, that's a good example. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank okay. you so much for doing this. Uh, thanks for thanks for having me again. I and yeah, if we if you need need me again, uh, I'm <laughs> yeah, down. <laughs> well, you've done now chess and politics. Okay, so I got to pick a whole nother. Yeah, at least. Yeah, you maybe know. I'll maybe I'll do sports next time. Maybe yeah. uh, maybe while we were talking about the the Mickey Mantle book I'm reading, maybe I'll do like a Mickey Mantle. That sounds great. Babe Ruth or something, yeah. you know? Yeah, in honor of Aaron Judge. Yeah, oh, yeah, that'd be fun. Oh wait, right? no, Mantle didn't break the record. Maris. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, Maris would be okay. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> like, oh, Roger Maris. Yeah, right. <laughs> a Roger Maris episode. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks All right. again. Thank you.